Who do you trust? When you meet someone new, do you approach them with optimism or caution? Do you take them at their word? Or do you wonder what secrets they might be hiding? What about if they're in a position of authority? Do you trust them more? Or do you trust them less? More importantly, what happens if you're wrong? My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the 1960s Starve Rock murders, a brutal killing of three women. Something interesting about stories is that it matters how you tell them. When you share someone's tale, framing is everything. It is the difference between someone being a victim, a hero, or a villain. Depending on the narrator, the same characters can fit all of these roles. In books and movies, we love this. It makes them more interesting. In real life, though, it can be the difference between charging the right criminal and letting the real one get away while someone pays for a crime that they didn't commit. Depending on who you ask, this is one true crime story that always gets told differently. In March of 1960, three women went on a trip together. Their names were Lillian Oding, Frances Murphy, and Mildred Linquis. And they were on an adventure. The three women drove out to Starved Rock Park in Illinois, planning to spend a proper few days outdoors after a particularly cruel winter. The goal of the trip was pretty clear to have a great time while hiking, looking at plants, and exploring the local wildlife. Lillian, Frances, and Mildred were grown and established women, and they wanted to soak up the peace of nature. They felt quite confident in their ability to do so, even as snow fell in the area. marry someone, it is often expected that you will know where they are. During the 1960s, a group of women going out on a trip was a bold and fun decision, but it was not without its expectations. George Oding, for example, expected to be able to get a hold of his wife while she was gone. He called and couldn't reach her. Called and just missed her, and called again before he really began to worry. Days were slipping by, and he started feeling unsettled by the silence. It wasn't like Lillian not to check in. George realized his wife was missing and notified the police to look for her. But by the time they started looking, 
she was already found. Of course, they didn't know that it was Lillian, Francis, and Mildred then. The three women were tied up, mutilated, assaulted, and murdered. Then, later on, their corpses were moved. The killings were horrific and basically shocked the whole United States. A search began, starting with the staff of the lodge where the women were staying. The staff was cleared fairly quickly, which was a pretty bad thing. Someone was responsible for these crimes, and the list of potential killers had faded away to nothing. Soon, the investigation started focusing more on what they did have for evidence. And as far as anyone could tell, the only real evidence was the twine that was used to tie the women up. This particular twine was from the lodge. The police focused in on the lodge employees again. And this time, one stuck out to them. A man named Chester Weger. He was 21 years old, well-dressed, and a family man. Unfortunately, police also believed that he was a murderer. It took a while to confirm that Weger was the killer. And a lot of the evidence against him comes down to interpretation of a notoriously unreliable polygraph tests and the perception of a few specialists. Police couldn't take him in for the crime just yet. They wanted more evidence. Instead, they looked for further evidence of crimes, and they believed that they found it. He was linked to another attack, and they took him in. This was when the real questions began, and after several hours in interrogation, Uyghur had a lot to say. He confessed to attempting to rob the women. He confessed to killing them as a consequence of their fighting back. He even confessed to moving the bodies to stop them from being visible overhead. Then, when he got an attorney, he took it all back. Uyghur claimed that his confession was coerced that police threatened to kill him and force-fed him the information for his confession. So when it went to trial, there was a lot to consider. But he was found guilty in the end. Although many people wanted to see him receive the death penalty, he was sentenced to life in prison instead, where he remained until February of 2020 released on parole into a world that had seen decades of progress and entered a literal pandemic. Since his release, his attorney has been seeking exoneration, maintaining that Uyghur is innocent of the crimes that he was accused of. DNA evidence found at the scene did not match him in a 2022 analysis, but no one knows where the charges will eventually fall. Other theories around the crime suggest that the women had a hit put out on them by a relative, 
or that an old friend interacted with them and had an altercation that got out of hand. Nothing else has been confirmed, but Weger's attorney did say that they plan to file for post-conviction relief. If they win, they may be able to end his sentence or even offer him a new trial. If you are more interested in this case, HBO and the Andy Hale podcast have both covered it in more detail. I have not actually seen or listened to these iterations, so I can't say what you're signing up for, but Andy Hale is apparently playing a big role in the future of this case, so if you're interested in it, he's got all the details. If you want to discuss your most recent girl's trip, effective ways to keep in contact with loved ones while traveling, or stories where you just don't know who to believe, feel free to contact me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at that pod. Thanks, guys. 